type of education has to be offered in kindergarten, through school, through through university, at the workplace. I think it needs to be offered at every single stage once again, because basically every month we learn new things mm-hmm. about our health and how to become healthier, uh, how to improve our well-being, both physical and mental. So it is something that needs to be taught on an ongoing basis uh, through the entire life of a person. Hello, everybody. We are back for episode 12, and this week's guest is Maria Radish, two-time TEDx speaker, former lawyer, transformational speaker, and speaker of five languages, holder of numerous university degrees, passionate advocate for personal development, thought leader on intentional adaptability, human potential, and how to thrive as a human being in the 2020s. Maria is here to offer insights into her world and what sits behind human behavior, resilience, adaptability, and growth. Her vision is to educate and aid as many people as possible to transform and create for themselves a healthier and happier life. A fact finder of game-changing ambitions with a remarkable aspiration. Let's get to the show and hear all about it. Alrighty-o, well we are back, we are back, we are back. Hello Sean, so excited to see you again, Maria, awesome, awesome to have you here, so excited for this show, Sean, let's get straight Uh, into it. Yeah, let's just dive right in, Uh, you know, enough about us, right? So uh, Maria, first of all, thank you for being here. It's been awesome digging into your work over the last couple of days to you know come up with some questions, and uh, you, you've really you know done a lot of remarkable things, as Luke just touched on in the intro. So can't wait to pick your brain today. Um, thank you for being here. But uh, what I want to dig into is it's been, start off with you know it's been 14 years since you arrived in Australia, uh, you know, and and I want to hear about that journey a little bit, and uh, you know how it's been, and and you know how how things are going and obviously this is home and where you're where you're going to be probably for a while so you know how's that transition been and what are the big highlights it's been the most interesting experience of my life and uh the best decision i have ever made to come to australia uh, but i'm still adjusting i mean it's been such a long time but i'm still adjusting to certain things and um yeah i've learned so much a lot here i've met such incredible friends here I expanded my horizons. I finally started working on my personal development. <laughs> and I, I love it. I love it. Especially the fact that it doesn't snow here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely different from from where you where you came from, Russia. Now I also because I know guests are probably gonna be wondering what the five languages are. So can we just get that out of the way? Can you tell us what the five languages are that you speak? Well, Ukrainian and Russian languages are my native languages, and uh, I also used to be fluent in Spanish, French, and hopefully English. You're doing pretty good in English. We can speak (laughs) French and Spanish together, too, separately, if you like, so. Sure thing. Can can mm-hmm. someone give me a little bit of a little bit of taste of either Spanish or French? So <laughs> I, I am very je suis désolé, petit parler en français. That's that's about as far as we go. Yeah. But your wife does though. You never never picked up much more than that. I, I, well, I did I did three or four months of um, you know going to class and learning French and whatnot. Sorry for digressing a little bit. 
And then everybody says, why don't you practice with Julie, your wife, who's from France and, you know, speaks it obviously very, very well. I just feel really, really bad butchering it in front of her. And I, and I know it's clearly just something that I need to work through, but that that's for me, that's the thing. And Julie would be fine with it. At one stage, another, she was putting sticky notes all over the house, like this was a glass and this was a cup and this was a what, you know, whatever it might be. But I just feel really embarrassed that, that, that I don't know it. So, you know, from someone who's a coach and coaches people through these kind of exact moments, it's it's rather ironic. But um, yeah, that that's the challenge I have. I just I hate butchering it in front of her. But did the class for a while, was actually understanding a lot because Julie speaks to her mum all the time on Zoom. So I was always picking up, go, oh, they're talking about me. What are they saying? <laughs> what are they saying? And then like sport, it's kind of gone backwards. But but anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's a beautiful lesson. Learning it, yes. And I'm sure she loves it. So you have absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about. You, you, were, you were very um, very humble and not wanting to get into too much of yourself there, Maria. But I'd like to understand a little bit more about the stand-up comedy that you were doing <laughs> for, for a while. So everybody may know you as, was as an academic and someone that looks looks at you know human behavior and performance and maybe doesn't know too much about the stand up comedy side of things so you know let us digress a, a moment longer and tell us a little bit about that um, I got lucky. A friend of mine started a business which is a school of hard knocks knocks. So it's a comedy school. Um, Originally, it was only in Melbourne, but now it's all around Australia. So you can actually sign up for a course and they run classes, I think, on a monthly basis. So you do your course for five days and then you present uh, your pitch in front of a live audience, <laughs> like usually about 100 people. Um, so that was the most, um, you know, like I, I do strive to stretch my comfort zone. That was the the biggest stretch I have ever experienced to actually come out there and making, you know, sex jokes and uh, jokes about my boobs and my hair. And that was the assignment, actually, the course that we had. We were giving assignments every day and we were supposed to make jokes about on different topics. And then we put it together um, for the final performance. And yeah, so that, that was very, very interesting. And um, I did it because I really would love to add more humor to my talks, to my workshops, to my presentations, to make it more humorous, to talk about serious things with humor, more, uh, be more of a George Carlin, I guess. I love George Carlin. It's such a loss for all of us uh, that he passed away. And I just love the way he talked about serious topics, but in a very fun manner, memorable manner, just got straight to your heart with how he was expressing himself. Yeah. And is it is it something that you still practice now, the stand-up comedy side of things, appreciating it might be something that you integrate into your talks, but have you been up on stage of late and, and done any, any shows? Not of late, um, but uh, this school runs uh, shows nearly every night. So if you graduate, you can come and perform if you want to. So it is something that I'd love to do in the near future, but currently I'm just focusing on doing more academic research and to do stand-up comedies, it's very time-consuming. You need to spend a lot of time, put a lot of effort into writing your material. Mm. And I just, yeah, if I do that, I really want to do it properly. And um, 
yeah, so I, if I do it, I just want to give it all of my focus and uh, I have an opportunity to perform, which is great to know. So yeah, definitely I'll take a chance on that again. Oh, we're looking forward to that one. Well, let, let's get into some of the work that you've done and when we talk about it, you know, some of your TEDx talks. So um, we're talking about conquering the final frontier of space, yet, you know, we are so far from getting this right, this this experiment that we're doing on planet Earth. So are we misplacing our focus with what we're trying to do in space? But why is it so important for us right now to be to be looking beyond our own planet and into space? I know that's there's a lot into that question, but and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think it is absolutely the right thing to do to strive to become interplanetary species, in particular because whether we're talking about growth on the personal level or whether we're talking about growth um, globally, we, we do need to have smart goals, you know, goals that we know are achievable and need to be done now and we can create a proper short strategy to complete them. But we also need one, at least one hairy audacious goal that helps us to grow, to, to keep going to the next level and to the next level and to the next level. Um, so whether on a personal level, whether on a global level, it is necessary to have at least one of such goals that would be like a shining star, you know, like a direction for us to keep growing towards. Uh, and of course, there are so many problems on Earth, but um, if we're talking about space exploration, lots of experiments that are run, lots of tests that are run, lots of um, uh, things that we learn about in particular moon and mars and other planets they actually help us to take care of our planet and lots of technologies that are being developed uh through spacex like through the ex space exploration process also get um given to the population uh, and even if we look at how much money is spent on the space exploration that's it's a very very small percentage if we compare it for example uh, to things that are spent on army and on wars and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, there have been a lot of criticism. I see a lot of people criticizing Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, you know, saying that are oh, just rich millionaires having joy rides and, you know, it's, uh, being in this pissing contest who went higher <laughs> and things like that. So a lot of people are very upset about it, in particular now while the world is going through the pandemic. But I think that especially now it's really important because it's one of those things that gives us hope. It's one of the things that helps us to redirect our attention because if we just think about the pandemic, it's it's just going to be so depressing and we're just going to feel so stuck and there's less of a chance for us to, to grow and to thrive uh, at the end of it. But if we have uh, things that bring us joy, uh, things that we can look forward to, things that aspire us, things that excite us. And speaking of inspiration in particular, Richard Branson, when he was up there, you know, he could toot his horn all the way up and down. But he said, um, he, he sent a message to the younger generations and he said, you see, like, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. 
So I think just that message all of its own uh, made a really great impact and inspired a lot of people on the planet to grow professionally and personally. Mm. So I think uh, the timing was right. I think it was the right thing to do. Um, and so I always get excited when I come across any news about space exploration and space missions and uh, things like that. Yeah, and and thank you, thank you for putting that in such an articulate way. And and I must admit that I I was one of the people that that called it a you know big pissing contest and a bit of a waste of money. So you know we come at this from a different spot. But like I I certainly agree with what you're saying in regards to you know we as humans need to keep on being reminded in regards to what the edge of our existence is and what the edge of our capabilities are. And, and as you said, that enables then the next generation to come through and, and go, well, if they're doing that, then, you know, what is next for me and what else can we create along the way? So I certainly agree with that. I think the, the, the challenge that I have with it is then, you know, what else could be done or what else could the investment go into or, you know, if you look at some of the things when they were talking about, you know, taxes that were being taken or, or invested into some of these space programs that could be going into some of these poorer places where, you know, the launching pads are being created. I think that's the challenge I've got, but I couldn't agree with you more. I think the way that you put that is that it is a reminder, you know, we think that we are sometimes at the end of our capabilities, but we are not even close and having people remind us along the way just sparks that. Where do we go to from here? I also really love your answer. And, uh, you know, in, in that TED talk, you I loved how you said, you know, we're all same, same, but different. And you were talking more in that regard towards kind of like your microbiome and, and more kind of health reasons. But I want to I want to take the space question and, and move it towards, you know, education a little bit, right? Because, you know, we, we, we it, it's so easy to just take the other side of the argument. And that's what human beings seem to like to do today with call out culture and just standing on a soapbox and just taking the other side for the sake of taking the other side, right? Yeah. Uh, do you think there's any way that, you know, human beings and maybe the next generation can maybe take this space race and the need for renewable energy because this planet isn't getting any smaller and take these causes and find a way to unify, right? Because, you know, the, the, the way we are as humans, I worry, well, if we figure out how to get to space, are we just going to fight about getting there? And, you know, like, like just try to, to like, is, is that going to, in the end, create war because we're going to still have the lack mindset? I mean, we are running out of space on this planet, right? And if we figure out how to get to Mars, it's not going to, we're not going to be able to populate the whole thing in one go, right? So how would you start the process of unification through the space race? Wow, what a question. <laughs> um, I really love that you highlighted that the level of our personal development is not there yet. So as much as I'm excited about uh, becoming interplanetary species, I think before we do, before we start relocating to Mars and to the moon in particular, we really need to take ourselves to the next level first as a person, as an individual, as a society. This is what worries me. Not the misplacement of uh, money and investments, because I don't think they are, um, but just understanding that we as a species are not at that level of development 
where we should be becoming interplanetary species at this point in time. So I'm hoping that within the next few years, by the time we can actually travel uh, long distance to other planets and settle there, the things would change in the personal development um, part of things. I really hope that would happen. And um, I don't know how to get there, but um, I love Star Trek. I like it because of aliens and stories and special effects, yes, but I love it because it portrays a version of our future where money is not the most important asset. What valued, what is important is whether you um, experiencing personal growth, what is it you contribute to the society? These are things that are celebrated. This is what everyone is striving for. So it's no longer about money. The, the main asset is your reputation. And I really mm -hmm. love, love it about uh, Star Trek. It's one of the things that I really, really love. And I think that a future like that would be absolutely amazing. And I would love to see us going in that direction. And another thing, while I'm talking about Star Trek, another thing I really love that... In that future, people respect our body, respect human body, uh, because they have all the technology there where they can replace, you know, every single part of your body um, and turn to a droid, into a droid or a robot or uh, make you mechanical and uh, invincible and, you know, basically perfect, but they don't do it. When someone gets hurt or someone gets sick, they repair uh, that organ or that part of your body, and uh, they're very respectful to the human form. And if there are any replacements, it's only if there is no other choice, if you cannot repair the body anymore. Um, so that's another thing that I really, really love about Star Trek and how they portray the future. Uh, but the main thing, like I said, I really, really respect um, that idea that we can have this version where it is about growing ourselves and about helping each other and about uh, growing as a society and um, focusing on what value we can bring to others. I really love that. And I'd love to see us going that way. Mm -hmm. and th that, that's only the tip of the iceberg for, for education and, and kind of unification. We've got a lot more questions for you. Uh, and yeah, no, I, I, I'm just curious. Have you, have you read much of Joseph Campbell's work? This wasn't in my questions, but like the power of story, you know, the hero's journey, uh, no. Okay. Well, we'll save that for another conversation then, but you know, the, it's the, 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 love of Star Trek, we all kind of have our shows and it's just that we all attach to story, right? Like human beings attached to story. You think about throughout time and you look what Joseph Campbell's work does is he looks at all of the different cultures. He's a historian and the amount of similarities that all of these different cultures before the world knew about each other, how similar every culture's stories were surrounding, you know, basically uh, like the hero's journey and the transition stories and, you know, all of these different things. There was no way of knowing that there were similarities, but like internally, we all have that same desire, right? We all want the hero's journey. We all want that outcome, but we've got to find a way to connect on that, right? And that's the, that's the challenge because there's a great divide right now. Is that part of the issue why people are missing part of the point with what Bezos and, and Branson have done is that they've forgotten that hero story. All they see is a dude in his spacecraft going to the edge of space, but they actually don't see 
you know, the day one, which led to the opportunity to do this over time. Maybe that's maybe that's where their angst is coming from. I think Richard Branson did that because he posted um, a conversation where he was giving an interview uh, at some TV program and like, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe. And someone called him and asked him, are you thinking of going to space? And he said, oh, this is how it started. (laughs) You know, someone asked me that question and I decided, why not? And then he was posting videos about his team, which I really love, by the way, so in comparison to Jeff Bezos, he posted, um, he introduced his team, you know, it, it was it was less of a branding thing. It was more of a meet your team, meet the team that will actually help you to get there because they will be taking care of you. Um, and just the way they treated each other, like you cannot fake it, you know, all mm-hmm. the micro expressions and how they hugged each other and how they treated each other before, during, and after the flight just shows um, how much closeness within the organization there is and the people are about collaboration rather than competition with each other and it it is like a family and Richard Branson for years has been saying that you know the most important thing you can do is to take care of your employees so I think Richard Branson actually did show us that uh, hero story Um, but Jeff Bezos didn't and he his approach was very different. Um, he was, of course, made fun of a lot about, you know, the shape of the rocket <laughs> to start with. And then, um, you know, mean tweets towards Richard Branson that, you know, you're not going high enough. So you're not actually going to be in space, but I will be, which is debatable. Uh, and also people that he brought on board, you know, having someone who was the youngest person to travel to space and having someone who was the oldest person to travel to space, um, making it more more of a branding exercise. Mm. Yeah. Dif- different motives maybe. You, you've, you've made mention um, a few times there about taking care of yourself and, you know, and we know how big you are into the mind. But anxiety can lead to depression. And in 2019, you were exhausted and burnt out at your desk, barely able to climb stairs. Um, Talk to us about what was happening and and what was the puzzle that you needed to put together to get you moving at that point in time? What got me into burnout, um, I experienced shorter burnouts before that, but the reason was is because I mistakenly believed that life was about grinding and surviving and being busy and stressing out about things and uh, just it was about how much you can do in one day. So that was all outdated misconceptions that, you know, that were installed um, into my brain. And I did not take care of myself at all. So yes, I ended up burning out in particular. For over a decade, I developed severe joint pain all over my body uh, and other types of pain. So I was powering through. I was uh, still working and doing a lot of physical work and like, intellectual work, um, powering through and not taking care of myself. So yeah, it added to that point where in the mornings I, I was in so much pain and I was so lethargic. I couldn't get out of the bed for a few hours and I had to make a coffee that I would put on the stand the night before like a huge, huge uh, coffee. And this is what I would do the first thing in the morning. I would drink that coffee, which is a no-no. <laughs> of course, it'd be a very bad thing to do, but it was the only way for me to actually drag myself out of bed. Uh, and it was pain 24-7 and I was just wilting away. Mm. 
And so I realized, look, there's got to be more to this life. And it, I, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> so I started digging and I dedicated myself to research about that. And I realized that it is a puzzle. It's not just one thing that you can change in your life. Uh, usually when we feel anxiety or when we feel depression or when we experience a burnout, it's always an accumulation of certain things. Uh, it's not just one thing. It's, it's several reasons that just came together and you need to address them simultaneously at the same time. Um, so for instance, um, like one of the interesting things I found was that the levels of our hydration and the quality of our sleep actually intertwined. And if you don't get proper sleep, you don't get properly hydrated through the day. And if you don't get properly hydrated through the day, which of course impacts, uh, both impact how your brain works and how your body functions. If you don't get properly hydrated through the day, then you don't get proper sleep. So these, these were two things in particular that I had to address simultaneously. Uh, but there were lots of other things. And um, yeah, in my TEDx talk, I said that, look, it's a puzzle. There are certain pieces that are important for every one of us. But of course, uh, for one person, maybe sleep is more important. For another person, it could be nutrition. For someone else, it could be more getting more sunlight, uh, having producing more vitamin D. Uh, for someone, it could be about mindset. Uh, so I was trying to show that you know, I hear a lot that mindset is everything. And I say, no, mindset is not everything. <laughs> it's only one piece to the puzzle. It's very, very important. It's maybe the best way, um, the best place to start, to start working on your mindset, to start growing um, in that way. Uh, but it's not the only thing and it's not the most important thing. Um, there's a lot of things that we need to do physically to take care of ourselves on a physical level in order to be a thriving human being. And That's brilliant. Uh, I, I love that. And I'd, I'd love to just very quickly before I ask another question and let Luke digress is, you know, for me personally, and I'd love your opinion, I think the, the, the starting point is knowing thyself right? Like reflective questions, like going deep and, you know, taking the signals that anxiety sends you, for example, because to me, that's a message, right? I'm feeling anxiety. I start to ask questions like, why am I feeling this anxiety? What's going on? Have I, has my routine slipped? Uh, am I doing the, the, the mindfulness work? You know, why am I feeling this? Because there's a reason for it, right? It's your body speaking to you. So for me, it's, it's knowing thyself and digging into that relationship with self. And I'd love to hear your take on that. I think that solution to anxiety and depression and burnouts is improving our resilience they say oh happiness is opposed like opposite happiness is opposite to depression and anxiety but i believe that it's not happiness it's resilience and if we make ourselves more resilient and more adaptable and more agile then happiness will just come as a byproduct so i talk a lot about that three-legged resilience chair that every one of us needs to build and I believe that the most important leg is our health, physical and mental health. And I talk about them as the same leg because they so closely intertwined and they affect each other. We should not be separating them at all. So the most important leg is our health. The second 
leg is relationships. And it's not the quantity of relationships, but the quality, the depth of our connections with other people. And the third leg is um, being what makes you fulfilled. Maybe it's your hobbies or something you do professionally. So that third leg is fulfillment. So it has to do with goal setting and goal achieving and mindset and things like that. Uh, so I do believe that we focusing on the wrong thing, chasing happiness and not understanding that happiness is not something you find, it's something you create and you create it through in particular making yourself more adaptable and more resilient. I think this is where the focus should go. Mm -hmm. I love that. Luke, I think I cut you off. I feel like you had something you wanted to. Yeah, because I, 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 when you mentioned there about, you know, grind, um, you know, and you see this in social media a lot, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, rise and grind and all that kind of stuff, you know, those lovely words. But, you know, I think regardless of whatever you're trying to do in life, there's going to be an element of dedication and there's going to be an element of, of time that it takes to do these things. And usually that's where I think this confusion comes in with people is that they, you know, if you're wanting to be elite or excellent at anything, then it's then you're going to have to put in the work, whether or not that's from a physical attribute or a mental attribute, a business or yourself or whatever it might be. So I think the thing that people need to wrap their head around is that how do they change that perspective? Because if then you can flip that perspective into a different way, then that's where that grind can move away it's not i have to do this i want to do this you know this is this is what i'm created to do and then it moves away from it and certainly you know and sean you were touching on it as well is that 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 anxiousness is your body giving you a sign that there is something unaligned within you now it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's bad or fatal or, you know, absolutely full of fear, but it is around, well, how do I get my head around and have a different perspective of what's going on to get away from that, that kind of anxiousness? And I know that, you know, when I went through the period where I was anxious and seeing a therapist and she was saying, you know, there's a level of anxiousness heading towards depression. For me, it was around how do I change this narrative in my mind by looking at it from a different angle? Because these things still existed, but I needed to be able to process it in a way where I didn't go down that rabbit warren every time the circumstance would come up. I would, in essence, accept it and understand what it was and then enable it to move past that. So you know, when you talk about grind, I think that's really interesting because people just think you've got to, I've got to grind every single day. I've got to be doing this for 15 hours. Well, Great things will take time and dedication. Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson didn't build what they they have overnight, but you know you need to change your view on the whole thing. So that's kind of where I was going. <laughs> sorry yeah. to sorry to. I know that me. crying doesn't work. I did the grind, and it doesn't work. It just led me to a burnout and to missing out on different opportunities and uh, not building relationships properly. Um, and when I so because I started to grind when I was five, mm. I had a really happy childhood on a farm with my grandparents in Ukraine. But when I was five, I moved to Russia, to Moscow, and I started learning second language. I started going to music school to play piano. I was only five. And at six, I started uh, primary school. And then a year later, another language. And it's... Um, yeah, and through most of my life, I was so sleep deprived. I slept maybe two, three, at best, four hours a night. 
I did not understand how badly I was damaging myself, both mentally and physically, um, not giving myself proper rest. So I did grind. I did achieve a lot. But looking back at my life, at at that 30-something years of grind, I see it as a gray blur. I'm trying to think of any happy moments that I had, and I barely had any uh, because I was so focused on moving forward and being busy and stressing out, you know, I was either busy or busy stressing out. That was my life. And um, I was pulling in. I I did have goals. I did have very clear goals where I was going. But what was happening is that as soon as I would get close to a goal, I would see that I wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was. And Mm. I would change direction. Um, Mm. so for instance, like it was a point that I just, I dreamt of being an ambassador. I so wanted to become an ambassador and I thought it was about traveling the world and making friendships and speaking different languages and, you know, collaborating and networking. And, um, that was my perspective. So I was working very hard. I was getting proper uh, specific education to become an ambassador, um, to work in an embassy, but, Once I got close to it and I met people who actually worked in embassies, I realized that it wasn't culture that I thought it was and that um, it wasn't for me, that I didn't want to be there. Uh, And then I started working towards something else. So um, growing just doesn't work. And I really hate when influencers throw this phrase around. In particular, when they themselves take proper proper care of themselves. I mean, if you look at people who throw this phrase rising ground, you see that they, you know, they eat properly. They have date nights with their life partners. uh, They spend time with their kids. They go on holidays. They have hobbies, you know, skydiving and surfing and this and that. Uh, They take care of themselves mentally. They take care of themselves physically. But for some reason, they're not saying about those things. And they say, you've got to grind. But what they actually meant to say is that be focused, have clarity where you're going, what are you trying to achieve, what are your goals, your mission, vision are, have clarity about that, and then focus and be consistent. Like you said, it takes time. Yes, it does. Everything takes time. You know, if you, whenever someone is asked, how does it feel to be an overnight success? What do they usually say? Mm. Oh, it took me nearly a decade or over a decade or two decades to become that overnight success. Mm. So it's another misconception of that overnight success that is throwing around. Um, uh, yeah, so when we look at those experts and specialists and influencers and, you know, forward thinkers who encourage to rise and grind <laughs> or saying that time is the most important asset, If you look at their life, you will see that they do take care of themselves. They do have clarity of where they're going, that they are consistent with their efforts, Mm. that they are focused. So when they do work, they focused fully on that. When they spend time with their family, they fully focused on that. If they go for a surf, they fully focused on that. So Mm. that's the key to success, you know, taking care of yourself and being focused and consistent. Yeah, it's the, the balance that you're talking about there. It's, you know, it's okay to do the 12 hours or 15 hours a day as long as you're doing these other things. Um, and, Sean, I'm, I might throw this to you. The whole balance and focus and shifting and being able to dive into the thing that you're pursuing, how, how has that been for you recently? I know that there's been a lot going on in your life. I hope you don't mind me throwing this one to you, but... 
but just have no. To, well, the the to, to the balance thing. Much. I mean, the, I'll, I'll very quickly go there because then I have a question uh, specifically that I'm itching to ask uh, Maria, but. No, I mean, it, it's, we always talk about ease, right? And glorify, you know, like, again, like, a, oh, it's so easy to grind and this and that and the other and, and misleading, you know, uh, posts on social media, like you just said, but the last couple of months have been quite difficult, right? Like, uh, you know, my daughter had a never ending cough that every doctor said was fine, but, you know, living in a pandemic, you can't send your daughter to daycare. And, you know, my, my fiance has a, had a salary job before she, you know, went on mat leave. So every day I was... 50 50 the night before whether i was going to get to work the next day right was i going to be able to be there for my clients or, or, or not so uh you know it was, it was a blessing in disguise because it forced me to figure out you know what are the most important tasks what are the most value-added tasks what do i really want to be doing with my time and it, it, it made me like hungry to fight for this even more right i've got to find a way to, to, to like you said we're going to talk about this soon but energy right uh how do i maximize my energy if my time is not guaranteed and how do i get the most out of the time that i have but you know I've, I've, it's funny because as soon as i signed up for this year-long investing mba right value investing and, and options trading and such my daughter got this sickness and all of a sudden i'm getting tested right and that's just it that's life it's never going to be a straight line it's never going to be a linear shot to you know your best life you've got to earn it and uh you know it wasn't about grind it was about mind right it was about like how do i keep this thing right when you know some days i just wanted to scream right and i remembered it's not about fair it's not about fair you know it's it's about how you show up every day uh and you know i get i hope that answers your question luke but on the subject of grind uh maria if it's okay i want to dig into your one of the last posts that you put out there about you know rise and grind I, I really quite enjoyed it you know there's so many different ways that you know people kind of convey this message you know hustle harder hard work works uh you know school of hard knocks it's this badge of honor right that you know especially you think of the last generation you think about you know modern corporate world especially you know i'm in canada but in america and north america you think about why it is this way well you know you had world war ii which led to you know two-thirds of ceos at fortune 500 companies having had wartime experience so you know big surprise that the workforce has this you know go hard and grind mentality but there's a problem with this right because if, if just hard work and hustle hard and go hard and grind was the answer we would have a lot more millionaires out there. We would have a lot more financially free people because there's a lot of people that are working very, very hard believing this myth that are not living their best life, right? That are that are not fulfilled, that, that do not have a lot of, of money. And, you know, as well, we're having increases in, in depression, right? Increases in mental health issues. It's not going down, it's going up. I just read an article that in America, uh, you know, it, it's now one in 10 Americans is medicated against depression right so hard work grind mode beast mode whatever name you want to give it it obviously isn't working that well so how does a young impressionable person navigate this world of social media and not just copy somebody and not just see an influencer and think well this is what i must do right how do you how do you talk to a young person who is looking at this world with so much incoming stimulus and get them to find their own way. I wish we could educate about those things as early as possible. I believe that we should educate about how to be healthy and happy starting from kindergarten or maybe even earlier. 
Uh, I wish I was thought about those things that I'm learning now in my 40s. Um, it's, uh, there's a lot of information and misinformation. It's not just about crime, but also about health. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very, very long <laughs> conversation about how much misinformation is out there. And I think that like what we can do, like three of us, what we can do is just put as much information as possible out there and to educate as well as we can um, and just keep spreading the message and hope, hoping that more people would um, see it. Because um, like I said, my mindset was very, very different through most of my life being in that grind and hustling and being busy all the time and, you know, saying that I'll slip it off once I die, you know, things like that. Very stupid things I was saying. I've and said thinking. that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, it just, little by little, me saying different quotes, which was actually interesting. You know what? My personal development started with me seeing quotes on Facebook. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> the quotes were popping up uh, that would make sense to me. And I would think, yeah, that's right. But I couldn't pull them together. I couldn't connect the dots. So it was, I had this strong feeling that life should be different and I should be think, doing things differently. But I, I didn't know where to start. And um, I didn't know what to do and how to connect that information that I was getting in form of quotes on Facebook out of all platforms where I don't really, I'm not, I'm not anymore on that platform so much. Um, and it was kind of building up um, that information and me reading books and seeing different quotes and meeting different people. Uh, and in particular, when the first time someone told me that happiness is not something you find, but something you create, my response to them was that wouldn't, wouldn't be happiness than artificial you know, that was the stupid response that I gave. And I said, like, if I'm making myself happy instead of attaching happiness to things or people, you know, to money or relationships or uh, respect or whatever. So I'm like, if I'm creating happiness within myself, like, wouldn't feel artificial? That was my response. Um, and um, it's just, yeah, meeting people, reading books, finally finding a right mentor, this is how it happened for me that that was my journey to finally finding a right mentor who explained the basics, certain basics for me in particular, um, you know, about confidence and about setting big goals, things like that, because also I was brainwashed into setting only smart goals. And he explained to me, no, you have to have bigger goals as well. Um, so he explained certain things to me and this is where it finally I got onto the right path and I started doing my own research and digging deeper and reading um, books and uh, following different experts and looking into studies and research. So that was my journey. And I think it's very individual for everyone. And um, I would love to see more right information being up there to, mis to push aside misinformation that's being spread around uh, and I, I think that in many cases, um, those influences, they don't mean um, to do harm. They don't mean to misdirect a person. It's just they are themselves misdirected. And they don't pay enough attention to the words that they're saying. 
you know, so when they say grind, they might mean something very different to what I understand as a grind, mm. but they don't explain it. They don't go further into detail and then others misunderstand what they said. So it's not just, um, I don't think that many people are malicious. I mean, there are certain companies, organizations, and people that are malicious because if you're grinding, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not taking care of your health. You're not building proper relationships and you're so exhausted, you're so focused on surviving that you're not even thinking, am I actually happy? Is this is what the life should be about? I don't know. Am I happy with the system of education? Am I happy with the politicians? Am I happy with the medical industry that it is how, how they are at the moment? If you're exhausted, you're not going to question those things. You know, you're just going to hold your head down and just keep surviving and just focusing on how can I make some money to peel, to pay to pay my next bills, you know, to pay my next mortgage, to take care of my family. Um, so in some cases, this misinformation is malicious, but I think in many cases, when people throw things like that, you know, rising grind, they just don't understand what it does to their followers. And um, yeah, they just, they just, I see this thing happening that one person would say it and then so many people would just repeat it and it just pops up on my feed. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so yeah. they just repeat things after each other without actually mm-hmm. thinking through and looking deeper into what's being said and they repeat those outdated phrases and beliefs and um you know that it's it's not about like because i'm a former lawyer so i know what it is to be in a corporate world and where they thought that the longer you stay at your desk the better employee you are you know, that if you stay after 5 p.m. and you work till like 10 p.m. till midnight, that this is what makes you most valuable and this is how it should be instead of focusing on how productive someone is. So I know a lot of people that just stayed at work just because, not because they were doing something, but just to show off their bosses that, you know, I'm sitting at my desk. <laughs> mm. yeah, um, Dan- Daniel was talking about it in the last episode with the investment bankers that would leave their jacket on the on this edge of the sofa or the chair, just so everybody thought they were still in work. But, you know, what you were talking about there, that I think the challenge is, is that, like, well, what is fact? Like, people just have a real hard um, a hard path to actually understand what, what is factual in this day and age because it's there is misinformation everywhere. What is true source? Where do you go to it to say, well, I hear this theory. It actually really resonates with me, but is it factual? Like a lot of people don't have the time nor the resource to do those things. And that's why these, you know, really big statements that are outdated maybe keep on getting repeated or we have, you know, social media people that it might have, you know, 3 million followers or not. They say something and everybody's like, oh, this must be fact because they don't have the time nor the nows to go and do the research to back these things up, which is a really dangerous spot. And that can be applied to so much of the planet um, at this particular point in time. And we just need to be, you know, be mindful of it. But, well, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you do your research? You know, obviously, well-learned university degrees, languages, TEDx speaker. So what do you look for when you are doing research? So if someone's sitting at home listening to this and now they are saying, I want to improve myself, I want to learn more, I want to be smarter, I want to expand my, my knowledge, really quickly, what is the best things they can do in order to, to get fact into their mind versus 
just an opinion of someone with a big platform? I'll have to offer two answers to this question because with my research, I'm digging very deeply and I connect the dots um, amongst different industries and different sectors to create a full picture of what we need to do in order to thrive as a human being. And I always, not just triple check, I check everything like 10 times. That's a former lawyer talking to me. Uh, For example, if a study comes out, I'm very suspicious, not suspicious, but I don't believe things straight away. I always look into, okay, if this study came out, who actually financed it? So this study that was done, whose interest mm-hmm. is actually supporting? Mm-hmm. What were they trying to prove? Um, how many people that they uh, monitor? You know, like if it's a 20-people group, then you can't say that this is um, a proper study. But if you have thousands of people, not just from one area, but from around the world, then it means the study has more of a chance to be factual, to be true. Um, and um, yeah, also see if it coincides, if like if it clicks with other studies that that are out there as well. For instance, um, there is this myth. Um, so there was a study where they um, wanted to see whether external light uh, affects your sleep. So if you close your eyes, whether you can, I don't know, see the light through your skin, for example, and they place the light under the knee. And they found that yes, if there is a, a light, then it means you're not gonna go, you're not gonna get proper sleep. So they started saying that you've got to have your room pitched black. And this is what so many sleep experts keep repeating one after another, which saddens me because this study wasn't wasn't actually factual. And quite like quite shortly, a few years later, another study like that was done, and they did not find anything that would support that finding. And if you think logically, for example, we as a species, we slept under the moon, we slept under the fire, you know, we slept under the stars um, uh, with those uh, bugs that um, emit light. What is it called? Blackout blackout curtains didn't exist in the medieval times, you know, (laughs) definitely didn't exist in, uh, you know, Aristotle's time or go back even further. Exactly. So even if you think logically, or if you look at further studies, that is a myth that you have to have your room pitch black. Mm -hmm. But yet people keep repeating it after one after another without actually um looking deeper and finding out whether it's truth or not mm-hmm. so i always uh yeah i always just check everything 10 times and i look at different aspects not just at the findings but very importantly who founded that study what are they trying to prove mm. like one of my friends she's a journalist and she was telling me the story where uh a client came and they asked her to write an article about how amazing and healthy cheese is about hard cheeses so she you know she did her research she put a very great article about how incredible cheese is for your health two weeks later (laughs) another client comes in and says look you had that article on how great cheese was we need an article in your journal about how bad cheese is for your health because we in the meat industry we need to promote meat so we want to downgrade you know the, the dairy so please write an article about how bad hard cheeses are and in two days she found enough information to put another great article about how bad cheese is <laughs> you know? so that really shows 
That really shows how much misinformation is out there. And if you do come across a study or those words, there's actually a really great TEDx talk, and it's called Five Most Dangerous Words Are the Latest Research Shows, something like that. Like if you Google it, you'll find it. Mm. A really great TEDx talk uh, uh, where um, the speaker talks about those things. And in particular, she talks about what are the most famous, I think, second most famous TED talk of Amy Cuddy about body language, you know, where she said that if you strike a pose and you become more confident and mm. you become more successful, which also um, is a misinformation. Um, and yeah, so th that's a great TEDx talk. I think it's called the most dangerous words are the latest research shows or the latest study shows. Um, so when... Um, we're talking about a person who doesn't do research professionally, then I think it's important for them to decide what kind of future they want. How do they see themselves, let's say, in five years in terms of their relationships, in terms of their health, in terms of their happiness, um, uh, mental health, and so on. And once they make that decision, I think when they see helpful information, then it will stick. Mm. Because this is how our brain works. You know, we get what we focus on. So if we focus on becoming healthier and happier, then when we see this information, then it gets our attention uh, quicker and um, it, yeah, it clicks into whatever we already know. Mm -hmm. So I think we all need to start with just making a decision what my future should look like. What do I want to be? who I want to be, what I want to feel like, what kind of people I have, want to have around me, um, what I want to do, how I want to feel, let's say, in five years. Mm. And when reading books and following uh, podcasts and looking for a mentor, and it's, it's very difficult to find a right mentor. It's incredibly difficult. It took me a very long time um, to find a mentor, my first mentor. And yeah, I think this is the, the, the this is the place to start. Set a goal, but also be more um, thoughtful, more considerate when you do hear information, just mm. to look a little bit deeper. Yeah, could, if it could. is research, who founded it, how big of a group that was that they studied, were there other research that contradict that research, or other other research that support it um so yeah that that's how you can get to the bottom of things at the moment yeah i love it i love it be, be clear on your aspiration for life and your reason why in in a different kind of way but then also be really clear on the information that you're getting and the reason why they're putting that out there in the first place and that'll give you a very powerful path to why it exists sean yeah well a little thing just kind of want to like expand on your point about you know like giving the research time to be proven wrong effectively right or just question it at least because it wasn't very long ago that we demonized fats as a society and that didn't work out very well and now we're demonizing carbs right and what's the outcome of that going to be right it's just again i've said this before but i find it very hard to believe that a sweet potato is bad for me right so you know it, it's just be, be, be don't just just you gotta like you've, you've mentioned this many times but interrogative self-talk 
ask yourself questions, right? Get to know yourself and listen to your body because your body's going to speak to you, right? You're going to put things into it that it's not going to agree with. You're going to put things into it. You're going to have great energy, right? Pay attention to your life. Become the observer of your life, right? So that you know, uh, you know, what is happening with you. Don't just be, don't just be a blind spectator, pay attention. But I do want to touch, touch with the education a little bit with you because I know you're, you're very, very passionate on education. And I want to ask you why you think it's so hard to change the education system, right? Like Elon Musk once said something along the lines of, you know, it, it's easier, you know, to, to, to build a rocket and go to Mars than it is to change the education system, right? So why is that so hard? And, you know, because the education system was effectively created to, you know, build good workers for the industrial revolution. And so much has changed in our world, so much. It's, it's hardly recognizable, right? Lifespans have doubled in less than 200 years. We've been evolving as humans for 200,000, but we can't change the education system that much. Why is that? Also due to quite a few reasons. So one of them, we, as, a, as human beings, we don't really like change. Our brain, just the way it's wired, the way it's evolved, even if we're finding ourselves in a miserable situation, brain knows that it can survive within that situation. So even if we do understand consciously that if we change that, the life is going to be better, our brain... Um, doesn't kind of struggles with that uh it just really really hates any type of change um because its primary function is to protect us to survive physically and this is what it's doing is becoming that clumsy friend uh that's holding us back uh, it's like um as i say like you have to like our brain was in the driver's seat for such a long time and we got to the point where now we know how it operates. Like there's so much thing we don't know about our brain, but we do understand enough how it operates in order for it to put on the passenger seat and take the driver's seat and let it work for us instead of working for it. So there's this beautiful quote that brain makes, makes um, a great servant, but it's a very poor master. So we really need to realize that, um, that, Brain, our brain, the way it has evolved, it helped us to this point, but now it's time to take over and to turn our brain into our servant. Um, so it's one of the, so one of the reasons is that we just struggle with change as a species, the way we evolved, the way our brains operate, that we just don't like change, even if we know that it's for the better. You know, even if you know that if you leave this job for something else, or, you know, if you leave this relationship, <laughs> <laughs> or um, if you stop eating that much bacon, I don't know, <laughs> that life is going to be better, but you don't do it because you just, um, you know, you keep doing what you are used to. And uh, because once again, the brain knows that it, it, you survive through this, that means you will survive. But if things do change, it's not sure whether you will. Um, so it's one of the reasons, but also... Imagine if everyone becomes a healthy and a happy human being. How much money can you make on that? How much power can you have over a person who is thriving? So there's also a really great quote about pharmaceutical industry that a patient cured is a customer lost. 
Very that is a moment. that is a rabbit hole, a very dangerous rabbit hole, because I am so anti big pharma. I was put on <laughs> drugs as a kid. Uh, I was medicated heavily, right? Like I was the kind of person that the education system was not built for, right? Uh, you know, my IQ score would say differently, but I didn't realize I had any intelligence. I was made to feel very, very stupid for most of my life, right? Because I, I would just, I was anxious. I wanted to jump off the walls. I didn't understand why I was learning these things. You know what I mean? Like it just, it didn't work for me. And I absolutely loved when you said that, you know, getting to this point now, we can no longer have the brain be the master. I might be kind of paraphrasing a little bit because I've become obsessed with evolutionary psychology, right? Like looking at the evolutionary upgrades we've gotten over time. Well, the history and the, the world happening around us is changing faster than our evolutionary upgrades can keep up with, right? So if you don't change your programming, if you don't change and upgrade your wiring, then you're playing from behind in this world today, right? You can't just sit back and, and rely on, on you know, your, your, your natural given talents because everything is changing so fast. And you go back a couple hundred years, think of how much data inputs came at the human brain a couple hundred years ago compared to today, right? Like Sony, uh, I'll send it to you after, it's quite fascinating, but Sony does this shareholder address every year and they make this video about how quickly things have changed. And basically it said something along the lines of, uh, you know, the one newspaper today is about as much information as you could come across in a lifetime in Shakespeare's time, right? So how much do we have to process is an outrageous amount. No wonder there's mental health. First of all, we're living twice as long. That's going to create more problems, right? Just that alone. And then secondly, you know, we weren't built to look at screens all day, right? We were built to be in fields, foraging, making food, hunting, connecting with people. So, you know, I mean, that's, like I said, we can go down a whole other rabbit hole and this show will end up being four hours. So I'm going to shut up now, but I, I connected with you big time on that. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they, uh, many experts say now that in one day we experience more stress than our ancestors in the entire lifespan, but our brain has not adjusted to that. And when they say stress, a huge chunk of it is that information that we're getting, that we're getting in particular through the news, that we're getting through advertisements that are triggering stress in us to get our attention. Uh, we're getting through TV shows that we're watching. Like it's already proven that if you binge watch TV shows, it actually leads to depression. Um, so so uh, how much of information is bombarded at us? It's a huge, huge chunk, but also there are, other things, there are other stresses, in particular food that we eat. Mm -hmm. It's not as nutritious as it was, you know, and uh, lots of foods are genetically modified and lots of food are processed. And for example, those food, foods that have preservatives, preservatives are put in to uh, reduce bacterial growth. And it means that when we consume those preservatives, it also affects our gut bacteria as well. So there's just so many things that are stressing us out and also pollution, of course, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, I've been saying a lot about plastics that um, plastic is, is not just an unsightly thing on a beach that you see or a mask. And I see lots of masks just being thrown on the ground in my area. Um, but there is a really, so when I was doing my TEDx talk, second TEDx talk, I shared stage uh, with Lauren and she gave talks specifically on plastics. And she said that, look, those plastics 
break into microplastics. And they are so tiny that we actually breathe them in because now they're not just in water, they're not just on the table salt, but they also in the air that we breathe. So, you know, being polluted with plastics is another stressor that we experience that our ancestors didn't. So there's lots, lots and lots of stressors that we experience on a daily basis and then we wonder you know why we feel anxious or why we feel depressed or burnt out or unhealthy and so on and so forth uh but yeah just with education system yeah just imagine you know if everyone is happy and healthy and thriving you cannot control a person like that um you cannot easily scare them so you could manipulate them uh, you know, lots of marketing gimmicks would not work. Lots of, um, uh, like, I'm not going to go into politics. Uh, <laughs> no, we, no, you're right, though. Like you're, con- you're making me think, and we, we, yeah, we're, we're consumer- getting, uh, we're, we're keeping you here for quite a long time now, uh, but I'm just enjoying this conversation so much, so we'll make sure that we eventually bring this to a close here. But you're making me think of an Eckhart Tolle quote in The Power of Now, where he says, it's just simply not possible to have an argument with a present person because they're just not going to argue with you, mm. right? So it's the same thing that you were saying, right? It's it's easy to control the highly manipulated, uh, you know, frantic person that is, you know, doesn't want to think for themselves and instead just goes to the device or goes to the news or goes to something like, give me something because absence of stimulus, I have to think, right? And it, it's sad, but thinking more and more seems to be a lost art. I think we can change um, the situation with the system of education only if enough people start demanding it. And this is what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to encourage students to speak up and to say to their universities that, look, we need a subject on how to overcome anxiety and depression on mental health in particular, or we need this or we need that. I've been trying to encourage students, but unfortunately, students, and particular international students, they're afraid of speaking up. Um, so <laughs> that didn't, that didn't work. My plan didn't work. Um, but I think once we have enough people demanding the change, asking for a change, refusing to pay for education, unless there is a subject on resilience or a subject on how to human, um, I love the, the, the title, how to human, you know, how to thrive as a human being, um, then we will experience change. If there is enough of a demand, then the system will change. Mm-hmm. Where do you start with the education system, though? Do you start at a primary school age? Is it a university age, a high school age? You know, part of the challenge of you know reworking the entire education system can also be is that there's there's a massive range of student capabilities, certainly at a primary school level. And I know, Sean, I'm not sure what age you were talking about but that's part of the challenge right you've got to look at whatever the for lack of a better word lowest common denominator is all the way through to something else and say well you know what do you take away and what do you re-educate you know there is certainly now a lot of literature which i don't think ever existed when i was younger and it even just talks about emotions for children you know i read that stuff to my boy now and i don't remember any of that stuff and i think that's really important because if you can't if you can't talk about and process your emotions at a young age, then they're the things that keep on tripping you up as you get older because 
the world that we have in essence created is not healthy for us as humans. And that's the problem that we have now is that we've done all of these things to take our attention away. We've done all these things to put the wrong type of nutrition or nourishment into our body. So we've created this absolute beast that we are stuck in now. And, you know, consumerism is a big part of it. And that's the, that's the cycle that we're in. So is it an education piece for the internal? Is it an external piece? Like where do you go with this stuff and at, and at what particular age? Maybe that's another show for another time. Don't know. Uh, well, I personally focus on the higher system of education uh, because this is um, the industry that I know really well. I studied at five universities. I worked at universities and business schools. I was lucky to undertake my education on three continents. So I have an idea about what's happening within, what needs to be improved. And also just so happened that I have so many followers who are university students and they keep reaching out to me and they share their stories. So I have a really good picture about what's happening in particular with their mental health and how they are not taken care of. So in particular, if they feel depressed and they go to a counselor, they get prescribed like two weeks of antidepressants mm. and that's it. Mm. They not put into a proper support group. They're not explained how the brain works. Um, they don't explain the basics of mental yeah. health. And yeah. they just roller coast between anxiety mm. and depression. This is what's happening with students in particular with international students because moving countries, this is stress of its own, um, you know, plus doing studies and feeling pressure from their families and peers and so on. But I think that if if the question is, where do we start? I actually think that it needs to start with people who want to be parents. I think that when a couple or a person decides to become a parent, they need to have some sort of a course that they would undertake and learn the basics, how to raise a happy and healthy child. Mm. And it needs to be an ongoing education because we're learning more and more. There's more and more research. There's more and more findings. Uh, you know, we understand things better. You know, like fat is good and sugar and salt are not evil either. Um, uh, and I think this is where it needs to start with parents, with a person or people who want to become parents and need to be educated on how to raise a happy and healthy child. But then this type of education has to be offered in kindergarten, through school, through, through university, at a workplace. I think it needs to be offered at every single stage once again, because basically every month we learn new things mm -hmm. about our health and how to become healthier uh, how to improve our well-being, both physical and mental. So it is something that needs to be taught on an ongoing basis uh, through the entire life of a person. Mm -hmm. 100%. I think that is, you know, like we, we teach biology and not everybody's going to go and, and, you know, work in surgery, right? But we don't really teach physiology and the inner workings of, you know, the connections between the gut and brain, polyvagal theory, right? Like all of these ways for emotional regulation and how to define success for yourself and, you know, make sure that you don't launch out into the world just because Luke and I, you know, in an episode, several episodes ago now, it was really sad, but, you know, you go back X amount of time and being rich and famous was like the 16th or 17th thing on a list that a kid from like 7 to 12 would say they wanted. Flash forward to today, being rich and famous are number one and two, right? So, you know, you look at how much we've shifted our values that that's what the kids are picking up on. 
That is sad. And that does not advance society, right? Everybody just wanting to be rich and famous does not advance society for the better. What, uh, Luke? I yeah, think, okay. uh, got one more question. One more question. All right. I can. Um, what's the most, what have you been most surprised about as being critical for the state of well-being with all the research, all the conversations, everything that you've undertaken, Maria? What are you, what are you most surprised about as being critical for someone's um, state of well-being? What jumped out? Um. Oh, wow. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. It is a puzzle. It is a very big puzzle. We don't even know all the pieces at this point in time. But I think uh, when we spoke about the three-legged chair, um, I think when it comes to the health leg, the most important thing is to get proper sleep. In particular, if you want to grow professionally and personally, you need let your brain rest and rewire in order to grow. When you're keeping yourself sleep deprived, you're actually holding yourself back from experiencing that growth, from experiencing that progress. So getting proper sleep for me was probably the most important piece. But of course, it is also intertwined with other things. Um, so for instance, our microbiome, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's been known for centuries that food should be medicine and that um, illnesses all come from the gut. H Hippocrates said it ages ago, uh, but we've been studying microbiome only within the last um, five, seven years. This is where we've finally learned more about it. Um, and it's not just gut bacteria, like we've got microbiome everywhere on our skin and our lungs and our mouth. So it's not just in our tummies. It's a very, very crucial piece. And I want to say that I wish that all those money that was invested into developing vaccines were actually invested into studying microbiome and helping a human being to build a stronger immune system thanks to gut bacteria. I really wish this is where things were invested into. Uh, because I believe that that was that is the solution to the current situation. So yeah, when it comes to health, I do believe this is the most important leg. This is something that we always um, like. I did not pay attention to it, although I come from a family of brilliant medical practitioners. I just did not take care of my health at all. Funny enough, you know, and brilliant like a great example of a shoemaker without shoes. And uh, for me, that was the most important thing that I needed to address in order to climb out of that hole. Uh, as I said in my TEDx talk, that I felt like I was burnt into ashes. This is how I felt. Mm. And for me, in order to rise back up as a phoenix, um, I needed to take care of my sleep and I needed to take care of my microbiome and to collaborate with it. Because microbiome affects us, we affect it, so it is a teamwork it is truly a teamwork. Uh, it's a two-way street connection. And we need to understand what kind of microbiome we need to suppress and what kind of microbiome we need to help to expand on us, within, within us. And then it will do the work. You know, it will um, help you to recover faster. It will help your immune system. It will help hormone, hormonal, hormonal production. Um, it will basically help with everything. Right. 
All right. Thank you to throw that one at your last second there. But all right. So, you know, we're well, well into an hour and something or other at this point in time. And I think Sean will start to bring this one to the close. So I'll hand it over to you for the last little bit. Yes. And before we do, uh, Maria, just where can our listeners uh, engage with you further? Uh, where can they find you out on the uh, social media or World Wide Web? Please connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram. I've been posting a lot and sharing insights and tips and tools um, on how to become happier and healthier. Amazing. And that's at uh, Maria uh, Radish, yes? Radish, yes. Yeah, Radish. Sorry, I, I didn't roll the R enough. Um, but yeah, so on to our final question. I mean, the show is, uh, you know, conversation for a better tomorrow, right? We just want, we just hope that our listeners can hear a thing or two that they can apply to their lives and, you know, improve just a little bit a day starting tomorrow. So in the interest of that, what is the most important conversation the world needs right now to create a better tomorrow? I think we need to decide what kind of tomorrow we want. So once we make a decision, and I think it's something that should be done globally, um, once we decide where do we want to go further and how we want the future to be, then we can make changes accordingly. Because at this point, it feels like everyone is going in a different direction and or most people don't even think about it. They just go with the flow and they don't even think about what kind of world do I want to have for myself and for my children um, how do I want to feel? How do I want to, what do I want to do? And what kind of world I want around me? Most people just don't think about that. So this is what the first step should be is to make a decision. What kind of a future are we pursuing, you know, with artificial intelligence and becoming interplanetary species and, you know, improving situation in relation to the um, pollution and things like that. So we just need to make a decision where exactly we want to go as a species. That that would be the first step. Mm-hmm. So begin with the end in mind. I like that. Yeah. Go ahead. And Luke. then we can, we can create a strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I think that's the perfect place to, to bring this thing for a close. Maria, thank you. How do you feel after that? Oh, it's such a great time. Thank you guys for having me. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. So everybody out there, thank you, listeners. If you like this, encourage you to like, share, subscribe, tell everybody, your next door neighbor, your cousin, your best friend, whatever it might be. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, I think. I'm not sure, Sean, but we're back for episode 13. But as always, be safe, be present, be you and Sean. Be fulfilled. Beautiful. Maria, take care. Sean, look after yourself, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye.